Thank you so much, young people, for blessing us this morning. Let's give God some praise again for them. Thank you. Thank you so much for those renditions. Genesis chapter 37, Genesis chapter 37. And although we will cover primarily the first 11 verses, I just want to lift up the first line, uh, actually the second line in verse two of chapter 37 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 37, verse two. After those opening words, these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Here's the line. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age. That's enough. Thank you. You may be seated. Joseph, when he was 17 years of age. The title I've given this morning to the text is a bit misleading for I could have been more specific because in scripture God has used both small children who eventually grew into their calling and served very well, but God has also used young men and women by teenage years who likewise grew and actually fulfilled or provided the answer to the question that I have posed as the title, can God stretch me a mere kid? My objective in using the word kid was simply to suggest that I'm not at this moment in the text addressing adults per se, but even beginning with the age of six and perhaps moving toward the age of 19, identifying in scripture that God has used various persons to solidify to us that God can stretch anyone that God desires to use. And so what I want to do today is contend that God will stretch you, young man, young woman, young lady, young boy, teenager, young adult, as with anyone, God appears to be attempting to get out of us what seems to be conveyed very clearly in the attitude and behaviors of children displayed naturally and that is dependency dependency God uses children youth because their posture has meaning they have a dependency on parental guidance a dependency on parental guidance children need parents to do a couple of things one they need their provision 
Their provision simply means they need the necessities that life provides because they can't do it on their own. They need food, they need clothing, they need values, they need wisdom. They depend on parental guidance to make provision for them. Now, stick with me and follow the theme and watch how the picture is being painted. Children need parental provision, but they also need parental protection, shelter, shelter from the storms of life, but shelter from danger, danger that they don't see, and danger that they do see. They need shelter also that they might find home as a space of comfort, a space of safety. Children need parental provision and parental protection and they need parental purpose. Children need parents who will pour into them, who will reassure them, who will help them see self-identity who will help them see self-worth, who will help them see the value of believing in who you are and also recognizing that there's a purpose in their life. Children need parental provision, parental protection, and parental purpose. Follow the theme. In doing so, children become dependent on parents further for directives. Children need parents to help them navigate through an unknown world, space where they've never been before. They need eyes that have already been down the path Eyes that can see where they cannot see and eyes that will help them see what they don't want to see. They need directives even though they might appear that they already believe at the age of six they know everything. We know they really don't. But they need that parental directive to help them see in an unknown world or even in a world that is filled with not only uncertainties but a number of evils that they're not aware of. They need parental directives, navigation, but they also need parental discernment. They need someone who can identify the landmines in life's journey. They need someone who can help them when they think that they're passing a quick one on us. I've already been there. I've already seen that before. 
I'm just trying to tell you, I already know where the landmines are and I'm trying to keep you from stepping there and experiencing an injury that it may take you a long time to recover from. In fact, it's only right for me to give you my eyes in terms of direction, but also my spirit, my wisdom, my experience in terms of discernment. You need to know that there's nothing new under the sun even though I'm 50 years older than you are. They need our directive, they need our discernment, and believe it or not, they need our decisions. They need us to help them determine, watch this, how do I risk life? How do I make decisions to risk because they are not aware that decisions do have consequences. And what they may not be aware of is that the magnitude of the decision may birth such consequence that once again they may not be able to recover not only quickly, but they may not recover at all. And so they need us, they need parental guidance to help them understand how to measure when you're going to make decisions. What do I use to help me determine what kind of decision I need to make? Think about this. All that I just said, it appears that God has the same motive in mind when God is stretching us because what he's trying to draw out of us is the development of parental dependency on God as the parent. He's trying to get us to trust him, to believe him, to yield to him, to lean to him, to believe that God has the best interests at hand. Just in case, you may be under the impression that God doesn't use or God hasn't used or maybe God won't use children. Let me remind you of two places at least in scripture that you might want to examine. The first comes out of 2 Kings chapter 12 and 2 Chronicles chapter 24. It says that there's a young man there by the name of Jehoaz who becomes the king at the age of seven. At the age of seven, he becomes the king of Judah. Now, he's sitting on the throne. No, he's not making the decision in reference to whether or not we will go into battle. What will we do to stabilize the economy? How will we arrange policy making in terms of justice, in terms of economics, in terms of education? He doesn't make those decisions. He's too young. But he's surrounded by wisdom. Persons who have his best interests at hand, who's there 
to support, to help give those directives that I mentioned earlier, to help provide that discernment, to help make those decisions, to understand what those provisions are and how those protections play out and how even at the age of seven, he has purpose as the king of Judah. When you read those chapters, you'll discover that it's also around him, and there's another gentleman I'm going to share with you. He has a priest who's in his court as well. The priest is the one who is to help him keep stabilized in the morality and the ethics of life. Hear me clearly, young people, listen to me. You will need something that will help keep your morality and your ethics in check. And it will not always be your immediate intellect that will do that, but the wisdom of those, once again, who's either experienced two things. One, they've already had disastrous moments in their own journey and they can help you. Or two, they have been granted such wisdom that they can see you falling before you actually fall. Joas, Jehoaz has around him a priest who helps him keep himself together. But then, also in the text, in 2 Kings chapter 22, is a young man named Josiah who becomes king as a result of his father's death at the age of eight. He becomes not only king of Judah, but also, says the text, he ends up leading a major religious reform in the country at large. He reverses their march from going away from God to moving back toward God. He is likewise surrounded by a priest. Both of them, when you read their stories, there's a line that says a great deal about them, and that line says, both of them walked in the way of the Lord. In other words, Maybe Josiah learned what direction to take because his father was not that great of a king. So he knew not to follow in his direction. And yet they both teach us that God can use even a child if that child understands, and generally they do, the importance of parental dependency. Because in both of those kings, God is trying to tell us, if you trust me, so much so, let me interject this, so much so that in Josiah's case, I know that his work was so valuable that when you read Matthew chapter 1, he's included in the genealogy of Jesus. Because a child actually can teach us how to trust God even as an adult. That might explain why Jesus 
on one occasion listening at least to the insinuation by the disciples of disregarding children and Jesus says to them except you come to me as this little child you will never see the kingdom of God in other words this child recognizes that my provision and my protection and my purpose all depends on the provision and the protection and the purpose provided by my parent and God is saying if I can get you to understand that my purpose in your life is to stretch you so you will stop thinking that you are the one who provides for yourself and that you are the one who keeps yourself out of all hurt harm and danger and that you are the one who decided what your destiny would be God said if I can get you to understand that you need me for my directives because I can see around the corner and you can only see up the hill God says you need me for my discernment because I already know what's going to happen before it even happens and God says you need me for my decisions because I know what's best for your journey and so here it is, we come upon this great text of Genesis chapter 37 in these first 11 verses where there appears to me to be, once again, my favorite term that comes from the late Mrs. Margot Tyree, God infers in the text. Infers mean that there's an action taking place there, but it's not mentioned. It means there's a suggestive that something is happening and although you don't see it being spelled out, displayed in bold writings, yet it's taking place because in theology we would say it's God working behind the scenes. God doing what Paul says in Romans 8, working all things together for the good. Don't underestimate that line in the second verse of Genesis 37 where it says Joseph is 17 years old. Don't, don't underestimate that. And don't misunderstand the context of Joseph's existence. We don't talk about this dimension of the scripture because it sheds a different light than where we particularly in the popularity here about scripture and that's only the good stuff about the lies of the characters but we fail to remember I think or maybe we just don't know or just don't want to know that Jacob is an interesting character Joseph's father remember Jacob has 12 sons get ready hold your seat by four different women. Remember he has sons by Rachel and remember he has sons by Leah not our Leah but remember he has sons by Rachel and Leah's servants Bilhah and Zilpah He's got sons by four different women and was only married to two. 
went over your head again. So remember, he starts out hoping for Rachel, but on the wedding night, he gets so intoxicated, he's tricked by Rachel's father, and he's given Leah, not, not our Leah, remember. And when he wakes up, he sees that's not Rachel, and the father says, oh, I forgot to tell you, we can't give you <laughs> the youngest. You have, we have to first marry off the firstborn. So Jacob says, because I love Rachel so much, what do I have to do? Jacob says, uh, Leah, um, Leah's father Laban says, work for me seven more years. All in all, that boy worked 14 years for that woman. I, he must have had some kind of love for Rachel. <laughs> now, I'll hang out for a year or two, but 14 is pushing the envelope big time. You hear me? And remember, Leah, Leah loved Jacob so much so that she kept having children with the hope that Jacob would love her like he loved Rachel, but it never happened. That's another sermon in itself. That's another sermon in itself. And then because Rachel was barren, she gives him his, her handmaiden, and he has four children by each. Oh, and by the way, we never mentioned the daughter that Jacob has named Dinah. She's hardly ever mentioned, not only in scripture, but we don't ever mention her. Because the patriotic concept, the framework of living of that time, girls were not valued unless they were giving birth to children. You might say, what does that have to do with the text of Genesis 37? It has everything to do with it. Because Joseph is Jacob's favorite because Joseph is the last born to Jacob and Rachel dies and Jacob, in fact, Joseph name means because God has given me favor in my old age. And as a result, he gives, Jacob gives his son Joseph what the text says is a coat of many colors. Just a garment that he had sewed together, but it meant something to Jacob. But what I want to highlight is the inferred action of God, at least in the first five verses. And the inferred action is don't ever underestimate God's ability to use you no matter how young you think you may be. There's a reason why Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone stifle your gift or suggest that because you are young, you're not yet ready to do ministry. That's not necessarily true. Because when God has a call, God will not reveal or unveil prematurely. But God will certainly bring forth that calling to that person's life in the right space, at the right time, and in the right condition. But can I give you five quick things that I want to tell you that no matter how young you are, here's how you can know God has got his hand and watching your life. 
is right here in the first four verses, five verses of Genesis 37. Here's what I want to tell you. Number one, look at verse two, if you will, and notice that God, out of all the sons of Jacob, God selected Joseph. All the sons of Jacob, he selected Joseph. Look closely at the verse, it'll tell you what they were doing. They were attending sheep, which would have been the lowest job on the employment totem pole. Who wants to tend sheep on a daily basis? But maybe what God is trying to tell us through the life of Jacob as a young man or woman is, doesn't matter where you're born or what condition you're born under, I will reach in whatever that condition is and lay my hand on you, my calling, and select you because I already know what your future is. And I'm trying to remind you that I don't care if you were born in poverty, if you were born to a middle or upper class family, I don't care if you were born in the hood, in the suburbs, it doesn't matter if my hand is on you that meant that I have selected you with a purpose and let me stretch it for you some more even if you are a young person living in poverty let's say you live in a homeless context God will has and still does select you to do his work in terms of not only demonstrating that God will take care and provide and protect and pour into you purpose and give direction and discernment and help you make wise decisions that your life will not be destroyed, but God has got your back because God's got a calling for you because he selected you. If he selects a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old to be king, and might I forgot to tell you, Joahaz serves 40 years as the king of Judah, selected at the age of seven. Josiah serves 31 years as the king of Judah, selected at the age of eight. Don't ever say what God can't do in your life because you're a child, because God selected you. Watch the second thing in the text. Look at verse two. God not only will select you, but God will surprise you. I wanna believe that God surprised, remember I used the word inferred, doesn't say it, but if you read the context and read the story closely, that might be the suggestion that God surprised Joseph. What does that mean? Joseph says, me? Of all of my brothers, you selected me? You put a calling on my life? We know why he selected Joseph, to give him that vision, that dream, but me? In the language of Moses, my speech is impaired. In the language of others, I, I am not intelligent enough. I don't possess the intellect, 
nor do I have the passion yet in my heart or the compassion in reference to the calling. And yet out of all of my brothers and even my sisters who are more talented, gifted than I am, God, you selected me. I am surprised that God, you thought I could do what you've called me to do. And there might be a young man or woman here today who might think that there's no, way that, there's no way that God could use me right now because I'm not yet prepared. Oh, you may not be prepared right now, but God has you on the radar is the reason why he selected your life and he's surprising you as you move through your life of development. What they said you could not do, you are defying the odds. You are overcoming obstacles placed in your path. Because that's the kind of God we serve who knows how to surprise those who say we can't do it. Are y'all listening to me today? Y'all might have quiet on me this morning. It's right there in verse 2. It says that Joseph was 17 years age, was pastoring or working the flock with his brothers while he was still a young man. God selected him. God surprised him. Watch the third thing. God strengthened him. Because God knew that when he called Joseph, selected Joseph, now he knew that what he was going to pour into Joseph was going to be a dream, a vision that was going to disturb others as Joseph shared it. And God knew that early in this young man's life, I need to strengthen him for the endurance. Because I don't want the challenge or the obstacles to cause him to jump off course or to throw in the towel or to suggest that he can't do what he wants to do. How do I know that? Look at the text real closely. Verse 3. Israel or Jacob... You remember the historical happening. Jacob's name is later changed to Israel. Loved Joseph more than his other brothers. Which in return says, I've got to give Joseph a little more unction because he doesn't know, he'll, he'll know it soon, but he doesn't know what opposition he's going to face and he's going to need some strength to persevere when everybody else is going to hate on him. And God, right now, may be working in your life, has given you the tenacity not to give up. And you know that your family, your friends, others who are close to you don't understand why you do what you do, why God is working on you and why you are embracing the call. But God's giving you the strength to persevere. And that's what he does in the life of Joseph. A mere kid, God is using. He's strengthening him because also God knows that later on what he does in his life as a child, Joseph is going to need that later in his adult journey. Some of us can testify that as a child growing up in church, we resented every Sunday. We resented going not only every Sunday, but going all day every Sunday. 
We resented staying all day and listening to preaching and the hollering and the singing and the prayer over and over and over again until when I got about 50 and life started to throw me curves. My health changed. My journey changed. Death occurred. Unemployment showed up. And I needed an anchor. I needed something to hold on to. And my mind kept running back to the singing of my grandmama and granddaddy in church, leaning on the everlasting arms of God. When I felt like giving up, I kept hearing my mama sing in the house and I kept hearing the old folks sing at church. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. See, those old hymns 30 years later in life gave me strength that helped me survive, but God poured it into me while I was a child. And that's what he's doing now in someone's young life. That's what he wants to do. He wants to call you, select you, surprise you, but strengthen you. He knew that in Joseph's life, because his father loved him more than the others, only because in Jacob's old years, he never would imagine that he would have a son again. And this son meant so much to him. And he's only doing what a father would do. Even in a discriminatory fashion, he showed more love, we might argue, than he did to the others. And the text says that he loved his son, Joseph, more than his other sons because this was the son of his old age. And he gave him a very colored tunic, strength. Not only strength, but God also teaches us that he had to sustain Joseph. Here it is right here in the text. Look at verse 4. When his brothers saw that the father loved him more than all his brothers, he, he needed to sustain him with his strength because of the last line. When the other family members looked and saw how Jacob was treating Joseph, look at the text says, they hated him and could not speak to him in friendly terms. They hated him and could not find a good thing to say to their brother. A good thing. God knew that by not having family members pour into you, support you, that you would need something extra in you to sustain you through that disappointing time. And that's a difficult journey for a young person to take who has not even yet experienced life. How do I sustain myself? How do I depend on something to keep me floating in the midst of everything that's trying to drown me where I am? And that does not underscore the magnitude of the language and his brothers hated him. Hated him. Not just in the family though. I wanna alarm some young person today 
that because God's giving your life favor, there are those who will hate you just because of who you are and what you are attempting to accomplish with your life. There are those who are hating you just because, here it is, you have a dream. God merely gave Joseph a dream and here's what the magnitude of it is. The brothers never recognized that the dream was futuristic, but it actually came to pass right before their eyes. You remember what the dream was? You read in the first 11 verses, Joseph said, I had this dream that my sheaves grew up tall and yours gathered around and bowed down. And then my second dream was there were 11 stars in the sky and a moon and a sun and here I was radiant among them all. They never realized that that dream would actually come to pass. Translation, remember, you read chapter 42 because what happens is God prepares you now for what he's going to do for you in the future because God knows what the plan is going to be in reference to how things will work out. They didn't know that a famine would occur. They didn't know that underneath the surface while God was working, he was raising up Joseph to be prime minister in Egypt. And his brothers, after selling him, never knew that they'd have to see him one more time again. And when you read Genesis 42, the brothers didn't realize that they were actually, when they came in the town to find grain, they didn't know it because God had blessed Joseph so they were actually bowing down to Joseph. They had no clue. The second dream that Joseph had when he talked about the stars, there were 12 stars, but he was the 12th one and the 11 were his other brothers. The moon and the sun was his father and his mother. And Joseph was there representing both. Since his mother had passed away, his father, here's a, here's a critical thing. Look at verse 11. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. Can you imagine what happened when Jacob actually ends up coming to Egypt and then eventually sees Joseph? The dream came back to his mind. Couldn't believe it. It actually did come to pass. What was God doing? He was sustaining Joseph because the journey was going to be long. Well, let's uh, bore you because I see you're looking funny at me. Let me give you the next one. God selected Joseph, surprised Joseph, strengthened Joseph, sustained Joseph. Then in verse 5, he stretched Joseph. From verse 5 all the way to verse 11, he stretched him with a dream. And I want to close by saying this, young man or woman, however God pours the dream into your life, however God unveils, unfolds, helps you discern what direction your life is going to take, you have to get prepared for opposition. I want to show you something. Look very closely at verse 5. Remember what happened in verse 4? 
they hated him because his daddy loved him more than them? Let's just be honest, we probably would too. I mean, I want my father to love me just like he loved the rest of the kids. I want to also have equal love. But look what happens in verse 6, or verse 5, again. The brothers hated him, but when he told the dream, they hated him even more. But that's not the end of it. Because as he told the second dream, look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, you mean tell me that you're going to actually be reigning over us? Are you really going to rule over us? Look what the text says. So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. <laughs> that just simply means that Joseph, as he walked around, talked about how his life was going to evolve, confessing and believing what was going to happen in the future. His brother said, I can't stand him. Because all he talks about is fulfilling a dream in the future. And he must have been right. Because by the time we get to Genesis 48, he's moving his family from the wilderness of Canaan down into Egypt. He's lifted up as the man of the man and his brothers come to realize. <laughs> you read chapter 42, when Joseph first meets his brothers and his brothers don't recognize who he is, his, Joseph says this, when his brothers tried to tell him who they were, Joseph said, I don't think you're telling me the truth. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave this Simeon here. Leave your brother Simeon here. We're going to bound him and put him in prison. You go back and tell your father that you need to send back your younger brother, Benjamin. Read that text closely. Reuben rises up and said, I told y'all that this thing's going to come back and bite us in the butt later on. I told you we shouldn't have done anything, but now y'all want to shed blood. You wanted blood. Now look what's happening. The reckoning day has come. That's what Reuben says in chapter 42 of Genesis. In other words, Reuben had enough sense to know oh, there's something about this. That's why I told y'all, don't kill him. Let's just hurt him a little bit. Don't kill him because you know what will happen if you shed blood. God will require our blood in return. And Reuben says, there it is right there. We're gone. That's it. We're doomed. We're out. We are done. And that's when we get to chapter 50 and Joseph makes that glorious proclamation. Now you ain't done, man. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. I just came to tell young people today, listen to me, God can stretch you as a mere child and use you for his glory if you will let him. He'll select you. He'll surprise you. Have you doing stuff you never thought you would do. He'll strengthen you. He'll sustain you. And then in this final point, he'll stretch you. He stretches Joseph through the pit, through the palace, and then back in prison. He's stretching Joseph all along. And yet Joseph ends up on top because he learned 
that God gave him a dream. And because God gave him a dream, God is responsible for providing the provision for that dream. And that's what God will do for you. That's Joseph's message, if you let him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, somebody in this house today, young man, young 